0: As followers of Jesus, he has given us some words, words that are really designed to shape us, to shape our lives and how we live our lives, words that are commanding words, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. That's the, the great commandment. And communing words, words that mean we're to abide in Christ Christ. The withness, being in and with him, and he is to abide in us, and that we will not be fruitful otherwise, and that we can actually do nothing apart from what God does in us. We have to be connected to him. So commanding words of love God and love others, communing words of being in him and him with us, and commissioning words to go and make disciples baptizing them, uh, and teaching them everything that Jesus has commanded. That is the Great Commission, the Great Commission. And to be honest, I don't believe we will ever be effective in the Great Commission unless we're first walking in the Great Commandment. Hear that. I don't think you'll be an effective witness for Christ in the great commission unless you are walking fully in the great commandment to love him and to love others as yourself and in communion with him. I think when people make only the emphasis on the commission, it makes them zealots. If you don't have an understanding of his love for you, that causes you to love him with everything and then love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't commune with him and him with you, your commissioning can become harsh and fundamental and legalistic. So as we talk about today, the Great Commission, keep that in mind. Here's what the Great Commission says from Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What a great promise. A lot of people think that the action of the Great Commission is the going. Go into all the world. But Jesus didn't merely tell his disciples to go. He told them, To make disciples. That's the action of the Great Commission, making disciples. He's also commissioned each of us, not just the 12 apostles, not just pastors or elders or leaders, but every disciple is on this mission to make disciples of all nations. The commission is for everyone, not just for a few. And while it must, as I said, be rooted in love for God and others and in communion with Christ, we have to realize that as his disciples, we are called to make disciples who then make disciples, who then make disciples, who then, and it keeps going. This is an important an important commission for each of us. And I think a lot of times when we talk about it in church, people either get really excited or really condemned. I mean just being honest. I was telling my wife this morning that I think sometimes that makes people think real itchy, you know, like, oh, when was the last time I did any witnessing? But I I want you to understand that as disciples of him, if we are abiding in him, we will be fruitful. We have to submit ourselves to it, and we have to walk into it, but God promises fruit if we're abiding in Him. And so we need to diligently make sure we are abiding so that we can be fruitful in commissioning. The Great Commission is not simply to go, but it is in our going where we make disciples. Um. It's it's probably better said that. In your going or having gone, make disciples. That's really a, a more accurate portrayal of that go into all the world. In your going, make disciples. And it's in the living out of our lives of faith embedded with one another. Living together, living life together, and training and releasing and inviting others into our lives That's where discipleship occurs. It is the life-on-life engagement. But for most of us, or excuse me, for some of us, it will mean going to distant lands. It will mean that. But for most of us, it will mean going next door or going to lunch with that co-worker who's asking questions or going to your kid's heart. Because let's be honest, the most important disciples you'll ever make are your own children. Our going is the context for how we make disciples. Going is how we do it. Making disciples is what we do. But there's two other elements to this great commission that Jesus spoke. And you, you picked up on them. Jesus gives us this mission, but you could call these other two elements defining participles to the active verb of making disciples. So I am not a grammar teacher. My mother-in-law is. So I always get nervous when I start talking like this because I don't know what I'm talking about. But I think I'm on on strong ground here. A defining participle of this active verb of making disciples. The first one I want to look at is teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. This is how we make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And that's a major way for disciples to be made. But I, when I say teaching, I want you to be careful not to mistake what I mean by that. Because a lot of people think that's what I'm doing right now. And in one sense, it is. It's a type of teaching and preaching, and it's an element of it, but it's only a small sliver of the teaching Jesus intended. You see, teaching them all that he has commanded is more caught than it's taught. It's more transmitted through life-on-life activity. It's It's communicated through our lives. It's hands-on. It's going with. It's learning in the everyday moments of life. The 12 disciples with Jesus didn't learn all that he taught by attending lectures or by going to synagogue or by listening to podcasts. They learned from him by living with him. And disciples that God calls us to help Make them into his follower. It's going to be the same way. They're going to learn by doing life with you, not by listening to a lecture from you. Oh, someone should have said amen. You just worried that I might take offense if you said that, so I get it. Teaching them everything that I have commanded you. That's one of the participles. But the second one is the one we're really focusing on today. And that is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's that's the crucial element. It's as crucial as teaching them all that he commanded. And so we're gonna look a little more closely at that. For the early church, baptism was often a a life-altering situation. It changed everything for them. To be baptized often meant that you were ripped out from your roots. You were oftentimes disowned by your family. A lot of times you were cast aside or lost your livelihood or all the above. Baptism was harsh in many instances. It was like beginning life all over again but not having near as much as what you had when you started. And it can still be that way in many cultures and traditions around the world today. But baptism also meant something that was glorious and life-altering in a positive way. And it still does today. That you have entered into a radically different kind of life. And it's not a life of your own making. It's his life. It's the life that you now live. You're living in him. Or rather, he's living his life through you. It is a radically different kind of way to live. No one can do it on their own. It's to be entered into. And walking into the waters of baptism, like these two will do here in a few moments, is indicating your union with Christ, your communing with him, that you want to abide in him and him in you. And it is, Choosing to do that and fully embrace all that he has done to save you. His dying on the cross, his being buried, and his being raised from the dead for your justification. Baptism is amazing. Paul talks about it in this passage that Pete already read for us. Romans 6. And we'll just look at a few verses from that. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, I think it's an overreach, just a little, to say that water baptism is the means of our union with Christ. Paul talks way too much in all of his writings, the Bible does, that says our union with Christ is a work of the Spirit and it's received by faith but baptism is most definitely a powerful outward demonstration of that inward spiritual reality john piper says it's a it's similar to saying with this ring i thee wed the ring doesn't make you married it's the covenant you enter into that makes you married But the ring is a visual demonstration of that covenant, of what you've entered into. And so it is with baptism. We're saying when we walk into these waters with this baptism, I am joined with you. I am joined with Christ. That being said, I want to address what I think is more our common error especially in those who believe in the believer's baptism, not being a sacramental ordinance of the church or even a covenantal uh, affair like many other Christians do. We, as this church, believe in believer's baptism, meaning you believe in Christ and then follow him in that baptism. I think that those of us that have that as our held belief, can oftentimes minimize the significance of baptism. I, I think that we can start reducing it to just simply a symbolic gesture, as if it's just a token of something we have to do. And I think we're missing it when we do that. I think we're relegating it to something uh, that is far less than the power that it really is. I like the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, my burial with Christ means not only that he died for me, but that I died in him so that my death with him needs a burial with him. That doesn't sound like symbolism to me. It sounds like so much more weight and significance. I honestly believe that if we better understood what's happening in baptism, we'd walk more victorious lives in Christ Jesus. If we understood what this is about to happen and what happened to us as we walked into these waters, we would find more victory in our living day in and day out. If we reduce it to a token of something that gets done, it's just an act of obedience or a religious ritual, We've minimized the power that it can hold for us. Look back at verse 4 of Romans 6. This is what it indicates. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Listen, (laughs) when you put somebody under the water, uh, if you hold them there too long, there's literal death. You can't breathe underwater. I promise, Hermione, I'm not going to do that to you today. (laughs) But the reality is that it is an indication of a burial. And he says here, that's what's happening. We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too get to walk in newness of life. That is a present reality, not just a future expectation. The newness of life is for us today. And it's hugely significant. So much more than just a religious practice. And Paul reinforces it over and over and over again in all of his writings. Like in Colossians 2. It says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now listen, anytime they talk about circumcision... It gets my attention because, well, I can't remember, but I would think that would hurt. And so it gets my attention and he's saying this is a circumcision that is performed without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It's a cutting away. And then he says, having been buried with him in baptism, which, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The same powerful God who raised Jesus, gave him back breath, and caused his blood to start flowing again is the God who empowers you to walk in newness of life. That's more than just a symbolic gesture. That's a reality that we need to walk in. And he said it to the church in Galatia also. Galatians 2.20, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then the next chapter, chapter 3, 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Wow. Crucified with Christ. Buried with him in death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. In the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead putting off the body of the flesh and putting on Christ. Do you see how completely transformational this is? This is is empowering to our Christian life. Without this, the Christian life is impossible. But with this, everything is possible. No wonder Jesus commanded us to baptize new disciples. Because it changes everything. It changes their position with Him, but it changes their ability to walk with Him in a victorious Christian life in this life. Again, Spurgeon said this We declare in baptism that we believe in the death of Jesus and desire to partake in all the merit of it. But there is a second, equally important matter. And that is our realized union with Christ, which is set forth in baptism, not so much as a doctrine of our creed, as a matter of our experience. There is a manner of dying, of being buried, of rising, and of living in Christ, which must be displayed in each one of us if we are indeed members of the body of Christ." I honestly believe that having good doctrine, while important, can easily trip us up. Not because doctrine is wrong, but because our understanding of it oftentimes is limited. And when we assume a total competency of what we believe and our doctrine then we can grow rigid and quickly lose the mystery of what Christ has accomplished for us. We think we have it figured out. Baptism does not unite us with Christ. But there is something about the baptism waters and walking into them that not only displays and demonstrates our union with Christ... It is a glorious experience of that that we can't get any other way. I feel like Robert when he talks about the bread and the cup and oftentimes there are those in Christian faith that see that as becoming the actual body and blood of Jesus. They call it transubstantiation. And I'm not interested in getting into arguments or controversies. But I love the way Robert puts it because while it doesn't literally become the body and blood of Jesus, it becomes all that it needs to be for us to walk in all the ways we need to. There is a mystery there that why do we resort to going to our nice little doctrine that we have figured out, that we can put in a statement, and we know everything, and rather just stay in this glorious mystery that his body and blood has been given to us, and that these waters are uniting us to him. Why can't we stay in that place? Why? Because we want to figure things out instead of trust him with all that there is. Good doctrine can easily trip us up. We grow rigid, we expel the mystery. And it's a problem for us when it comes to baptism. We think we've been there. We've done that. We got the t-shirt. We're good. Yep, I was baptized. Tell you when, done. Got it all figured out. Why don't we walk in the mystery of it every day? Why don't we walk in the mystery of what it means? We need to figure out more of it. We need to figure out more of what God is saying when we are identifying with him in it. Or we argue about the practicalities of it rather than bask in its glory. We become so stiff on how it's to be done and to whom it's to be done to and exactly the symbolism, all of it. But we forget the glorious reality of what it means to be united with him in death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. That now the life we live is no longer our own, but it is his life in us. That in baptism, we are not merely immersed into water, but we are submerged into Christ. And our union with him, our identification with him, our abiding with him is now everything to us. Nothing else gets in its place. Since baptism signifies our complete union with Christ, we no longer live under the power of sin. Pete read about it later on in chapter six of Romans. For we now have power to defeat sin in our lives because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And because his spirit has been poured into our lives, the Holy Spirit in us, To convict us of all sin and to lead us into all wisdom and truth. God has given us a way out so that we can lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is before us. Yes, 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 of course, we still have free will. And we can still sin if we want to. And unfortunately, a lot of times we do. But which master do you prefer? As Andrew Knowles said, the only wage sin ever paid was death. But now God gives us eternal life to serve him in perfect freedom. I'd rather serve that master a slave of his grace and life, and not a slave of sin and death. We are no longer living under the law of sin and death. We are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. We are mortifying the flesh, walking in sanctification, growing, changing glory, from one glory to the next until the day of his appearing when we will be like him. We are no longer slaves to sin we are united with him crucified with him buried with him and we have been raised with him to walk in the newness of life today and forevermore that's what baptism means may we more fully walk in it these days may we have it may it make an impact on us not just those that are being baptized today but every single one of us who are in Christ Jesus and i will say this to anyone that is listening today if you have not been baptized i would encourage you to do so if you are in Christ and have professed your faith in him believed on him in your heart and confessed him with your mouth and he is your lord and savior then why not be baptized? What prevents you from following him in baptism? You may have come prepared today to do it. We can make room for more. If you want to do it next week, we'll do it then. If you want to do it the week after, if you want to come here on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night, we'll do it then. We'll do it any night of the week. Don't resist the leading of the Spirit. Amen. I'd like to ask Sam and Hermania, Patrick's gonna be baptizing Sam so they can go ahead and go back and start preparing for that. And my wife's gonna come and we're gonna pray for you before we have the time of baptism. Go, I can, she's loaded, I can tell.
1: <laughs> so Pam, so good. Um, I feel like Papa, he always said that it's like sausage. You just cut it off wherever because there's always more to come. But for your sakes, I I will not give you all of the sausage this morning. Watchman Nee um, used to teach from the King James. And in Romans 6.11, that language says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Mm. And so he said he spent nearly a decade of his life after salvation reckoning, reckoning and reckoning only to discover that sin was actually fully alive in him. <laughs> and he thought, what am I missing? He said he prayed, he fasted, he kept saying, God, if I if I can't understand this simple foundational part of the Christian life, I can't preach. Like, I'll have to stop. I need to understand this. And so he tells a story that one morning he was continuing to ask the Lord about this, and he received a a powerful encounter with God, and his eyes were opened. And this is what he said. Then in a moment of revelation, I saw my oneness with Christ. I saw that I was in him, and that when he died, I died. I saw that the question of my death was a matter of the past and not of the future, Hmm. and that I was just as truly dead as he was because I was in him when he died. Hmm. From that day to this, I have never for one moment doubted the finality of that word, I have been crucified with Christ. And I was so struck by that because I thought, I don't know that I could say I have never for one moment. Sorry, doubted the finality of that word. I think if that were true, there might be different fruit in my life. So one of the things I want to pray for us this morning is that we get the full benefit of that finality. yes, And that we can say from here forward, I have not for one moment Doubt doubted the finality of that word. Yes. Yes. One of the wonders of community baptism service is that if you have been baptized, it's a great moment to re-engage the finality of that act. And if you haven't, you can speak to somebody about that today. Like Chris said But the wonder and the miracle of the Lord is that you can live towards baptism now. That's right. You don't have to wait for the moment of going under the water to say, I agree with you, Lord. Yes. Dead to sin, alive to God. It's it's an agreement with him. This is my last part, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) This whole concept of putting off and putting on is very familiar to me as a healthcare professional, particularly during the pandemic, where there was a discussion about personal protective equipment, PPE, a million times a day. And one of the things they teach you about putting on this protective equipment is that when you put it on, it's called donning, D-O-N-N-I-N-G, and when you take it off, it is called doffing. There are a gazillion videos, if you're curious, go Google. Um, There are a gazillion videos of how to do it correctly. And it's many, many, many steps, both donning and doffing. And if you don't do it correctly, you aren't actually protected. Hmm. Pause there for emphasis. When baptism occurs, the point is that you're putting off and putting on. And you can't put on the clean clothes over the old clothes, it doesn't work. So you have to do it in the right order with the right steps. But all of that is by faith. Mm -hmm. And so I want to read one section of very short scripture from John 17. This is from the message. I'm praying not only for us, for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so that they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me, The same glory you gave me, I gave them, so they will be as unified and together as we are, that they will be mature in this oneness. And then it will give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. For those that are being baptized today, they're stepping in, to this picture of the unity first we are unified to him and then through that he enables us to be unified with one another and with all the people we haven't been unified with yet the ones that are coming so my my heart is full
0: yes let's pray
1: father thank you for this very clear word and direction about what you've already done for us that you want us to receive. And in order to receive it, we have to lay down what is in our hand. We have to lay down our thoughts, our preferences, our perspective, our doctrine, our history, and receive. Yes. Receive the unity with you that baptism brings. That's right. Father, thank you for this opportunity to re-remember that we are dead to sin, not because we've reckoned it so, but because you've made it so. And in that, it is a truth that is final. It is not something we obtain. It is something you have provided. Help each one of us do business with you about it today, Lord. If there's any place in us that is doubting the finality of that act, make it known, Lord, yes. in your compassion. Yes. Bring us to the truth. If there's anyone here who hasn't received the power that baptism brings to be unified with you, to say no to ourselves, to sin, to the way of the world, Father, I ask that you would move on them, that they would be compelled into obedience.
0: Yes, Lord. And Lord, we pray for these that are walking into these waters of baptism today, that your spirit will do the spiritual reality of unity, of union with you, of abiding in you, And that what they do today would be a glorious reality of that. Would be more than just a symbol. It would be a, a full life demonstration of what it means to be buried with you. After being crucified with you. And then rising with you to walk in newness of life. And may each of us, oh God, walk in that same newness, I pray. And I pray, Lord, that this year... We will see many come to faith in Christ Jesus. We will see many come to the waters of baptism. We will see an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our midst and in our city and in our neighborhoods, oh God. We long to see it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.